Hey, .NET Rocks fans. Richard and I are going to be at the Dev Intersection Conference at the Marriott Grand Lakes in Orlando, Florida, April 13th through 16th. Come see your favorite speakers, Scott Guthrie, Scott Hanselman, John Papa, Billy Hollis, Brian Noyes, Dan Wallin, Todd Anglin, Tim Huckabee, Michelle Bustamante, Miguel Castro, Duval Lowy, Kathleen Dollard, and many more. Go to devintersection.com to register now. You'll save 200 bucks if you register on or before February 24th, $100 if you register between February 25th and March 31st, and you can save an additional 50 bucks by specifying .NET Rocks is how you heard about the conference. More details at devintersection.com. We'll see you in April. .NET Rocks episode 953 with guest Hilton Gizano. Recorded live Tuesday, February 18th, 2014. This episode is brought to you by Telerik, offering the best in developer tools and support. Online at telerik.com. And by Franklin's.net, makers of Gesture Pack, a powerful gesture recording and recognition system for Microsoft Connect for Windows developers. Details at gesturepak.com. And now, here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much. Welcome back to Dine Rocks. Carl and Richard, here for you again. Indeed. Hey, Richard, do you know .NET's poised to have a very good year this year? You think so? I do. And I think that uh, there's a lot of expiring XP machines out there. Yep. That have a lot of old programs on them that people are were trying to uh, milk for all that they were worth. And now that they are expiring, I, I'm kind of thinking, and I'm getting a whiff of this, that that uh, .NET is going to come back in a big, bad way, almost like it did when it first came out. Now, I don't know that it really went anywhere. It's just, it's mature now. And, you know, what was that Don Box line? It's not dead, it's done. Well, what I mean by come back is I think you're going to find a lot more people using it and, you know, a lot more uh, projects started with it. So, a lot of people looking for information. It's going to pose, I think, a big a kind of a problem for Microsoft because, and this is a problem I ran into um, on a previous show. I talked about this. You go looking for any kind of XAML tutorials, and yeah. they're all from the earliest days of WPF when everybody was interested in getting stuff out there and becoming the experts or whatever. And then as WPF matured, you know, the, the blog posts, the old blog posts didn't go away. Right. And so it's very hard to find contemporary XAML anything, you know, because XAML has evolved a lot, and so has the tools. It sure has. And yeah, things have gotten a lot better, and things have evolved. So I think, uh, you know, if anyone's listening out there and you have some old content on a blog, go clean it up, because yeah. there are going to be people that are coming around looking for it. Yeah, that's my wow. that's my soapbox today, Richard. Love it. All right, let's roll the music. <laughs> Time for a better know a framework. What do you got, buddy? Well, um... I don't know. I, I just get these weird ideas every once in a while. And, you know, we're, we were talking about the, the Bitcoin stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. The remember? cryptocurrency show. Cryptocurrency show. And you remember I said something like, you know, if you were a Richard Campbell and you were into geopolitics and looking at how, you know, uh, things around the world and, you know, currents, other currencies, world currencies might affect the value of Bitcoin, 
Would you be so inclined as to maybe, I don't know, track that stuff and try to do some predictions on the value of Bitcoin because, you know, so you could trade it? Because it's so volatile and there aren't, you know, relatively, you know, compared to something like the stock market, you know, there are relatively few players. And so when something's volatile like that with relatively few things that actually affect the price, it's kind of easier to to come up with some sort of prediction engine. So remember um, neural networks? Yep. Yeah. So neural networks are these great, great things where you can find this database of, you could create a database of historical data and you can pull this data from various sources and then look at um, outcomes that you want to find, such as the value of Bitcoin. And see, put the neural network to work on it to see if there's any correlation, if it can find any correlations between these pieces of data and what happens to them over time and the outcome. And so if you can get a prediction engine going, that's pretty cool. So I just, you know, I'm fantasizing here. I'm going through my, you know, trying to go through the internet to find lists of public data because there's a lot of it out there. And I came across this tinyurl.com slash gdataSplore. Now, this is really Google Data Explorer, but, uh, you know, anything with Google and data in it in tinyurl is completely taken. So I had to get creative. So it's gdataSplore, S-P-L-O-R-E, or you can just Google Google public data. And this is uh, a place on Google where there's a lot of different providers of data that are public and you can sort of look at them and slice them up in different ways. Um, there's stuff from Eurostat, from uh, Distatus, Statistics Iceland, the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, the Central Statistics Office of Ireland. And those are just the you know ones that have a few sets. But then in the uncategorized category, there's all sorts of them. There's 128 different providers. Wow. Yeah, um, Microsoft set up something. I think it's now called the Azure Marketplace. It's just, there's a bunch of data that's free. There's some that's pay. Like, this is the thing these days. That there's just tons of data out there for you to, to explore and study and, and try and find correlations from. Now, I thought, you know, some free data supplies, some F-sharp, you know, some Don Syme magic, and some Hadoop, and some neural network software. Hmm. There's some interesting possibilities there. Now, if I just had time to write it all. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, data mining is a thing. It's a thing. And it sure is interesting. Definitely. So that's what I came up with today. Awesome. Yeah. So who's talking to us, Richard? I went, dug through some SharePoint shows, and I grabbed a a comment off of show 745, and that's the one we did with Jason Gazor when he was talking about using HTML5 in SharePoint, you know, back when HTML5 was a thing. Which was, you know, 2012. Yeah. Uh, and this mm-hmm. comment comes from Sid C, who says, Hi, guys. I've been a big fan and a regular listener for about three years now. Your podcast has taken me through numerous gym workouts and commutes home. I especially found this episode timely as I'm starting a few new SharePoint projects in the area of web part development and use of SharePoint online. I like the suggestion of creating two separate farms, one for the front-facing site and one for the back-end administration site. I'll suggest this to my current clients. A question regarding development of SharePoint 
Is it an acceptable practice to install Visual Studio 2010 and the SharePoint Designer on the production server? Hmm. Some articles I've read say no, not in production, while others say yes to target a given portal. What are your thoughts on the issue? Uh, keep the great shows coming. I will tune into the tablet show soon. And that's from Sid C. Hmm. Uh, we're clearly going to have to just take a quick survey around the room here on this one. I think installing <laughs> dev tools and designers on production servers is evil. Evil. Just say no. Don't Evil. do it. Just so you know I what? think there's no problem with that. You can you can also put a, a torrent downloader on your production server. <laughs> you can, okay, now, now what for, could go wrong? For those who don't understand satire, that's what that is right there. That's oh my sarcasm. goodness! No, I. Uh, you know the funny thing is, I think in some ways SharePoint Online has made these questions clearer because you just can't do that on SharePoint Online. Mm -hmm. So there's just no question about it. Now, Sid, I know it's been a couple of years since you wrote that comment. I hope you've, uh, you know, found your way on these things, but putting those kinds of tools on production servers is just asking for trouble. Don't trouble. do it. Just say no. Just say no, Sid. So, Sid, thanks so much for your comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, just write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or on any of our mobile apps. We've got them for iOS, Android, Windows Phone 7 and 8, and Windows 8. And those apps were built by Diatom Enterprises. Who'd love to build you an app? Just go to DiatomEnterprises.com. And before we go any further, I need to remind you that Pluralsight provides comprehensive developer training online. They have hundreds of hardcore developer training courses authored by MVPs and industry experts. They're still releasing over 40 new courses a month and offer a 10-day free trial, giving you 200 minutes of access. With a wide range of topics, including iOS, Java, Android, web development, pretty much anything you can think of on the Microsoft stack, including lots of classes on SharePoint 2013. So try Pluralsight today. Subscription plans start at just $29 a month. And that brings us to our esteemed guest, Hilton Gizano is a 16-year industry veteran, 16-plus, actually. But these days, he's a SharePoint cloud and mobile consultant. His experience spans development, infrastructure, architecture, team leadership, and more. He's been a leader in local .NET and SharePoint communities for many years. He's a long-standing Microsoft MVP, an international speaker and webcaster, and hosts a regular SharePoint podcast at themossshow.com. Despite this, however, the question remains, does he actually know what he's talking about? You've got till the end of this episode to decide, and I did not write this bio. <laughs> Just so you know, I'm not the jerk here. Hilton. Wow, that guy sounds smart. Too bad you guys are stuck with me. Oh, well. <laughs> you know, Hilton, it's wonderful. We have these wonderful things called editors that even make us sound smart. <laughs> well, I'm sure, I'm sure by the end of the show I'll sound pretty clever, so <laughs> looking forward to that. How's South Africa right now? South Africa is hot. We had, we had a, a heat wave this weekend about oh, – um, Got to kind of do Fahrenheit, but probably about 95 degrees Fahrenheit. All right. Well, so, uh, well, you know, Hilton, in honor of your warmth and our uh, and my absolute freezing and snowing, there's it's been snowing here for a month straight. I uh, have put together a little video um, of a song that I wrote called Waiting for the Summer to Come. You can find it at carlfranklin.com, and the video is right there. Uh, but I sent you a link to it. Just go ahead and check that out, and you'll see this is the anti-South Africa right now. This is what's happening in my neck of the woods. Dude, that's a lot of Carl Franklins. Yeah, I had some creative video video experiences. 
My video camera's well, taking is, drugs. To be frank, you guys really can't complain too much because I've been nagging you guys to come down to take it South Africa for about seven years straight. Yeah. yeah. So uh, keep nagging and keep pushing. And one day I'm going to succeed in getting you guys down here to. Uh, Gee, I really hope so. Hidden uh, spot. I really hope so. I, we've always wanted to go. We've uh, always had uh, conflicts of conferences and. Most of them have been, I think, with Bulgaria. They've been going on at the same time that uh, Bulgaria has been going on. So, yeah. There's always one yeah. thing, or, you know, so whenever we had an invitation, there was a conflict. Then when we didn't have a conflict, no invitation. Right. Yeah, we finally moved ticket, and then I forgot to send you guys the invite. Yeah, well. I'll have to get on with this, uh, this year. So it's been a long time since we talked about SharePoint. Maybe we should start at the beginning. What is SharePoint, and why exactly am I going to love it? Well, let's let's jump into that. Before we do, actually, if you don't mind, I'm going to steal things for a moment and just say uh, what an honor it is to be on the show. I've been listening to DNR since kind of 2003, 2004, and I've listened to every single show by one. Back in those days, uh, internet bandwidth's pretty shocking down the side of the world. Um, yeah. And the only way I could get it, I couldn't download uh, MP3s at home, but I could download EXCs at work. And you guys used to package the show up and, and into an EXE file and stick it on the MSDN site. That's right. Um, so for, for a good sort of year or two, that's how I got the shows. But for some bizarre reason, the only episode that never got published that way on the Microsoft MSDN site was the interview with Miguel de Casa about, uh, about running, uh, running .NET not on, not on a Windows machine. Yeah, so so th- I believe there was a conspiracy there. Well, yeah, you know, there may have been a conspiracy, but it certainly wasn't on our end. Uh, there, were, That was the time that Microsoft was, con- um, they were a little bit, you know, uh, what am I trying to say? They were a little concerned about Mono, you know, back in those days. And I guess somebody higher up at Microsoft saw that there and asked that it be taken down. So that, that wasn't at yeah, all anything. Be- uh, before the days you could get C-Sharp to run on an iPhone. Yeah, yeah. that's right. That's before, that's before they loved <laughs> Mono. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. But yeah, guys, it's a, it's a great honor to be on the show. So, so thanks for having me on. As you guys mentioned, I'm a, a podcaster as well. So I know how much work you guys put into it and um, all the info and, and you know the kind of tons of value that I've gotten over the years. So if you don't mind, I'm just going to take a chance to say thank you. Well, thanks for being here, Hilton. And yeah, and we've exchanged lots of emails over the year, Hilton. I, mean, I guess we bumped into each other once in a while on the MVP Summit, too. So it's uh, we really appreciate you listening. And, and congratulations on your show. It's going really well. Yeah, it keeps me busy, and it, uh, it's, it's good fun, as you guys know. It's, uh, you know, it's fun being behind the, uh, behind the microphone for a change. So. <laughs> But that's it. We're going to talk about SharePoint, and uh, you know, part of the reason that I wanted to come on the show is uh, I just got tired of all the all the disdain yeah, and all I the hate we that I was to. hearing on the uh, on the shows. Um, you know about the, the the lack of love towards SharePoint, shall we say? You know, in some cases it wasn't sort of it was not really. Uh, well, in some cases it's been a bit outright. In other cases, it hasn't really been outright um, hating. It's just been more sort of. Um, Silent disdain. You know, I kind of picture, you know, Seinfeld whenever he, uh, whenever he met, uh, whenever he met Newman. It was uh, whenever you guys mentioned, you know, there's exchange and sequel and SharePoint. Hello, Newman. Very much kind of Newman style. So I thought I better come dun, on the dun, show dun. and kind of set the record straight a bit. Well, I, I think it's pretty understandable why. It's fairly clear. I mean, as a developer, you like to get in there and build things that that make you look brilliant and genius. And, you know, and when you have something that 
somebody can be hired for $200 an hour to press buttons and set up menus. And then the, the customer goes, brilliant, genius. And you're sort of like, you know. <laughs> yeah, I could have done this all in the browser. This is, this is lame stuff, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, uh, so I guess that's part of what we want to chat about. You know, I want to um, uh, sort of share some of the passion that I have with, uh, with you guys and with the listeners about why I love SharePoint. Uh, one of my colleagues, in fact, in, uh, in, in the consulting firm that, uh, that we're part of, actually owns the domain iloveSharePoint.com. So we're mm. passionate about the product, and, and hopefully I'll get, get that across and, and why we love the platform, too. That's his girlfriend's name, right? SharePoint? Nice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like, uh, you know, I've got that uh, uh, geek T-shirt, and my wife's got the iHeart geek T-shirts. So, yeah. yeah, I guess probably something like that. My too. wife's got a T-shirt, <laughs> drones don't kill people, programmers do. That's... <laughs> yeah, certainly not SharePoint programmers. No. All right, so what do you love about SharePoint? So, there's a lot of things. Um, so, my background, as you mentioned, is, is pro dev. You know, I did that for a kind of a good sort of 12, 13, 14 years, something like that. And... Um, I decided that the way that that the company that I was with and uh, and that a lot of companies approached SharePoint was fundamentally wrong. And I decided to look at the platform um, for what it was good for and, and learned a lot of lessons. Um, interestingly, today I do dev on SharePoint too. I do a lot of other things too. Um, I do a lot of business consulting and sort of trying to help customers get as much return on investment, if you like, from the platform out of the box. Uh, I do a lot of infrastructural work too, which which is quite a uh, break from the comfort zone. That's interestingly uh, an inspiration that I got from Richard listening to Run As. I figured, uh, you know, Richard clearly shown it's capable to be a dev and an IT guy too. Right. Um, so I made that leap, and it's uh, I never looked back. It's it, it's been great too. That's just harnessing your ADD for the forces of good. Or, or well, something. exactly, exactly. Uh, <laughs> you know, I love reading. I love learning new things, and and SharePoint is just an endless landscape to 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 kind of learn and. And poke at, at new corners that you that you never had a chance to to, to get into before. Right. Um, but basically, for me, it, it solved an interesting problem. I kind of went back to my roots and said, "Why did I get into development and into you know kind of business systems as opposed to games or uh, uh, you know embedded programming, something like that?" And it was always because I enjoyed technology. I've always been passionate since I was you know a tiny little uh, little kid, and I've also been passionate about people. So I always wanted to solve people's problems using technology. And, um, you know, being a geek growing up with computers, you know, dev was, was a big way for that for me. Um, but I realized SharePoint gave me a lot of ability to do that um, out of the box, doing that kind of tying things up. And, you know, for end users who who's sitting with a, a fundamental practical business problem and no way to solve it, being able to do that quickly and in front of them um, is, adds tremendous. Tremendous value. You know, if you look at a t- typical dev cycle, we'll sit through a couple of workshops and analysis meetings with clients. We'll go back and document it and come up with ideas and wireframes and end up with, with some kind of dev cycle. Even if we, you know, we, 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 we're doing something agile, you know, there's tighter cycles, but ultimately it's months before they get something. With SharePoint, I can sit in a meeting and instead of having a two-hour analysis meeting, we can have a three-hour session. By the end of the session, I can actually have them walk out of there with their site provisioned and a large amount of their business problem solved already. Mm-hmm. So for me, that, that kind of time to value is, uh, is, is invaluable. So that's a lot of why I love the platform. And this is one of these Pareto law things. It's like you, you can get 80% of the result with 20% of the effort. Yeah, give or take. Statistically, I find it's kind of more 70-30, but uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> in right. some cases. And that last cases, 30, boy, that's the expensive part, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So that's where oh, the yeah. development chops comes in real handy, isn't it? 
Yeah, well, it is, it is. But, um, you know, this kind of comes back to the listener question. It's the, the reason I think SharePoint gets a lot of flack is that it's very, very easy to tie yourselves in knots. So right. either from an infrastructural perspective, um, you know, under under provisioning the environment, for example, is very common. Or you know, we laugh, uh, and I, you know, I kind of said a nasty comment, but um, and and the comment is dated. But um, the truth is, I had something similar not two, three weeks ago, where uh, where um, there were, uh, the developer on a project hadn't quite understood the platform, and he thought that in order to deploy his customizations, he needed to have Visual Studio installed on the server. And I come in post that and said, mm, yeah, not a, not a good idea. Here's why. And, and let's go ahead and unwind that. So to this day, we still face problems like that. Sure. Uh, and, and, you know, across, across all of the things. I guess some of the, you know, if we go back to the beginning, though, the biggest problem that I find is people don't necessarily understand what SharePoint is, exactly what you were saying up front, Carl. That's a big part of the problem. And, and it kind of manifests in two ways. You know, I'll go into a client engagement and, and sit in a, in a in a session with with users around the table, and I'll find kind of two aspects to that. The one is people who um, don't know SharePoint, but don't know that they don't know SharePoint. So they've got some perception or some preconceived notion or some kind of unpleasant baggage that they're bringing into the room. You know, they uh, they've got some kind of botched up SharePoint that they were exposed to at a previous company or something like that. Um, that they're trying to overcome. I like to to joke that um, you know a lot of ways SharePoint gets installed. Uh, remember, this is an enterprise grade platform. A lot of the ways it gets installed into the into an enterprise is the CIO or, or one of his lackeys goes to take it, sees a great demo, um, and and thinks, well, we can do this, and uh, and kind of just you know in the old days we'd, we'd kind of say pops in the CD into the drive, uh, gets SharePoint up and running on his laptop. Um, and tries to service the entire organization. I mean, I've heard uh, anecdotal stories. I don't know if this one's true, but I've certainly heard anecdotal stories that SharePoint goes down at 5 p.m. because that guy closes his laptop and goes home. (laughs) 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 You can't really run an enterprise-grade platform under those kind of conditions, but it happens. Uh, You know, it it happens. I like to think, I like to equate SharePoint with customers. It's, it's, It's not a transactional and it's not an ERP type of system. You wouldn't kind of do your day-to-day business transactions in it and so on. But the impact that SharePoint can have on your organization, the positive impact that it can have, is akin to something like SAP. It can radically change the, the, the ability to interact with knowledge, the ability to not no longer lose track of things and overwrite changes and, and so on. Um, but it comes on a you know it comes on a couple of hundred meg download, and when you pop it in, when you when you kind of run the, the EXE, it asks you up front, do you want to install it in basic mode? Or advanced mode. Are you an you idiot, or do you know what mode, you're doing? Yeah, words. once you install it in basic mode, you're locked. You can you can barely upgrade that. You know, can you imagine if SAP came that way? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Can you picture a Fortune 500 company, somebody in the downstairs in the IT part, department, just kind of rolling SAP out and kind of let's go see what we can make of this thing? Just all defaults. Let's go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, not just the technology. You know, a lot of it boils down to what are you trying to achieve. It's it's not just about the platform. Um, that's a problem too. But it's an enterprise grade platform. Can you imagine rolling SAP out and saying, okay, well, let's just kind of throw users at it and see if we can run our you know Fortune 500 company on this thing, and we'll just kind of click buttons and and see what happens. 
So that's a big problem of it, and that leaves a sour taste in, in many people's mouths because it is too easy, in some ways, too easy to get your hands on it and to and to get it installed. We like to joke, first it's free in the uh, in the SharePoint world. You know, there's a free version of the product and so on. So well, so it's it, free like it's a puppy. I mean, the, the maintenance of it can can be a problem, especially if it's successful, right? Yeah, yeah, that's a big part of it. But I think part uh, of this is that it was bundled with Office for a reason. It you know that it it started out as this sort of document management tool. And so people think it's trivial just because it deploys with Office. Well, so that's another good point that you've hit on, Richard. That's the other kind of people that I encounter in the meeting. The, the one is the people who've got a bad experience. The other is the people who um, who don't necessarily know SharePoint, but that's the opposite problem. They don't necessarily know what this is. You know, Richard, you, you've commented that, you know, Exchange scares you, for example. Yeah. But I've got a, a friend who's an Exchange MVP, and we uh, we like to kind of, uh, you know, joke and, 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 and uh, poke fun at each other and so on. And he'll, you know, meet some somebody randomly in the street, maybe meet an old school friend, something like that. And they'll say, what do you do? And he says, oh, I'm an Exchange guy. And they'll go, Exchange? What's that? And he'll say, oh, it's an email server. You know, no yeah, problem. Right. I bump into people and they go, what do you do? I say, I'm a SharePoint consultant. They go, what's that? And I go, oh, boy. It's I'm a website. You <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a, so it's, a uh, it's a, yeah, you know, I mean, uh, what exactly do you say? SharePoint's a massive, massive product. You know, it's a BI dashboarding product. It's a portal engine. It's a, it's a document management system, records management, um, asset management, web content management, um, enterprise search product, you know, any number of things. And how do you explain that to kind of a lay, lay, lay person? What I typically say is something like, I either say, you know, either it's a, it's a portal and intranet kind of thing, um, or I say it's, you know, it's a document management system. But what exactly does that mean? You know, people typically think of file share and they go, oh, okay, it's kind of a fancy file share or it's a web-based file share. And, and the truth is, the more you see SharePoint like that, the uh, the more likely you're in to end up in trouble. Um, you know, we sell it, for example, as a collaboration tool. And, and Richard, you'll remember you had Rob uh, Bogue, one of my fellow SharePoint MVPs on Run As, talking yep. about this. Um, and he said, yeah, you know, it's certainly sold as a collaboration platform, but one of the definitions of collaboration is working with the enemy. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's like... But, so you know, it, it's a it's a hard thing to to explain. A lot of customers say, okay, well, it's you know, it's a DMS or a, or a KM, a knowledge management system, and you know, that's no problem. We can install it, push that basic button, basically spray some DMS magic or some knowledge management magic on our organization, and our uh, and our organizational problems would go away. So, how far can you get before you have to start writing web parts or custom pages or controls or whatever they're called now nowadays? So that kind of takes us squarely into, you know, what, what SharePoint is and what it's not and, and how do you avoid a lot of those problems. I find that a lot of it boils down to the approach. And, um, you know, part of this also comes down, you guys will, will remember that kind of classic thing we, we talk about in our industry, the, the triangle people, process and technology. So one of the reasons uh, you know that I, that I that you mentioned in the bio there that I've, I've been in the industry a long time is you know uh, thankfully I don't just hit my my head against the wall a number of years I've I've picked up one or two small things over the years. One thing I've realized is that yes you know typically any system involves people, process, and technology, but it's taken me many many years of fighting with technology and uh, and 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 kind of twisting it to my will to realize technology is the easiest part of that triangle. Mm. Mm. Processes can be re-engineered. It's tricky. It's harder than than sort of installing a, <laughs> installing a, an app and, and clicking the basic button. 
But people are by far the hardest part of that story. Hmm. So when you're looking at something that that can reach this scale in the organization, your problems are not going to be the technology. Although a lot of organizations, you know, struggle with that. Um, and I can I can take you through some stories there, some horror stories and so on. I like to tell stories, uh, so I hope that's not a problem on a podcast. Better than drawing pictures. That's uh, exactly what we were hoping you would do. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, you know the, the the people problems end up being the biggest problem. So one of the things I, that I'd like to do as we go through is I can take you through some um, some kind of suggestions or approaches and tips that I've learned over the years about how to implement this platform correctly. And development's the very last piece of it. Well, Hilton, before you say that, we have some business to do. Well, before you have business to do, Carl, I've got business to do to you guys. I want to know, Carl and Richard, what time is it? Uh, I don't know. What time is it? It must be that happy time again. It's time to share the point of why people have to subscribe to the, uh, to the .NET Rocks fan club. No, you know, <laughs> you know what time it really is? It's time to enter the portal and pull down my parts. <laughs> not, not necessarily in that order. I win. Oh, no. I win. That's what I'm saying. That's the yeah, last half hour of the show just going to be SharePoint puns. That's it. <laughs> Nothing else. No, no. Carl wins. I got stuck with visual imagery and I'm just not moving on. Oh, I love it. No, it's time to give away a tell. I wonder what Telerik thinks of these dirty jokes right before this. <laughs> It's time to give away a Telerik DevCraft Complete collection to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But before we do that, I have a message from Telerik. Mobile apps are dead. What? Mobile apps are dead. Watch as Telerik unveils what comes next. Are you stuck with tools and vendors that make you choose between native, hybrid, or a web-based approach? You no longer have to choose. Mobile apps are dead, and now there's a new way forward. The new wave is all about building long-lasting and compelling cross-platform and multi-device apps that will forever transform mobile development for the better. Are you ready? Go to mobileappsardead.com, where you'll learn how to pick the right approach for each project, tackle the fragmented and dynamic mobile ecosystem, evaluate your productivity and shorten time to market, and create compelling experiences across platforms and devices. Go to mobileappsordead.com to watch the free online keynote from Telerik. And don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Brian Weed from Waukesha, Wisconsin. Congratulations, Brian. Golf clap for Brian Weed. Clappers. And there you go. He just won a Telerik DevCraft Complete Collection. That's just about everything they do in one box. A $2,000 value. We give one away on every show. If you don't know what we're talking about, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, and uh, answer a few questions and join the fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. Every December, we give away $5,000 worth of technology, that's right, to one lucky member of the fan club. And we do. We've done it two years in a row now. And uh, we'd like to ask our guest, Hilton, what would you buy with $5,000 right now today? So you guys had me up tossing and turning at night thinking about this. And, uh, and I was kind of running through all the gadgets I'd love to play with and uh, you know, all, the, all the cool toys and so on. But I'll be honest with you guys. I, uh, I don't really have anything I'd like to own. I'd love to play with a few things. And I don't really have too much time in the day to, to kind of own an Xbox One, for example. I'd love to play with it once or twice. But hmm. truth be told, there's, there's not a lot of gadgety, geeky kind of stuff that, uh, that I um, – that I, that I want that I don't have. It's not so to be, say I've got a lot of it. So you'd I be just, more um, apt to buy experiences or to buy time. 
Yeah, yeah, pretty much. In yeah. fact, a couple of weeks ago, I was thinking about this very topic and, and thinking, you know, life's pretty frantic. I run a, a consulting firm. I've got two small kids and, mm -hmm. and so on. So for me, time would be the biggest thing. Um, and I thought about that. And the very next day, Jonathan Zuck said exactly that on, uh, on a wow. recent .NET Rocks episode. So he stole my thunder. Wow, that's awesome! But and it's very I think he didn't really think about how to spend the uh, spend the dollars. I think I would like to take those dollars and invest them into into something like uh, like Fiverr.com or um, or Elon's or something like that, and 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 buy some services that can give me a bit more time with the kids, um, a bit more time with the family, and so on. Wouldn't buy Bitcoin. <laughs> I wouldn't buy a Bitcoin. Um, <laughs> not, yeah, at, at the current values, it's probably not a bad investment. Yeah. I could buy a few, but uh, yeah, I, I, I just enjoy watching them. <laughs> yeah, well, well said. So, yeah, what can, what can we do? Yeah, it makes me think what would happen if you know you talk about gadgets. I start immediately thinking about things like Indiegogo and Kickstarter. If we actually sat down and tried to spend five thousand bucks getting involved in as many of these cool little projects as we could, and just see what happened to all of them. Yeah, that would be fun. You know, also I live in a in a in a different kind of uh, different kind of uh, economy, I guess, to you guys as well. For me, if I was to to physically spend the the dollars on things, um, I'd love to kind of help out local community. You know, we have we have a huge diver diversity in in uh, economic strata in this country, shall we say? Yeah. Um, so I guess if I had to physically spend the money, I'd, I'd do something. That's a great thing. Great, yeah. great thing. Lots of opportunity there. So I've uh, yeah. I've started speaking to middle schoolers about uh, programming. And my first uh, class was, uh, I brought in a, a copter, a quadcopter, and, uh, and it was about programming, you know, and you could see as I started the first slide, the yawning, and the second slide, the yawning, and I said, we're going to program this, and I brought the thing on, and they were like, oh my God, this is so cool, right? So then by the, by the end of it, they were asking me if I was giving away iPhones, <laughs> it's like yeah. here's somebody who's come to talk to us about technology he must be giving away iphones <laughs> what else is there that's a logical conclusion yeah. and the other one was uh how much does one of those cost and my answer was well if you work at mcdonald's you probably have to save up for a month to buy one of these but if you're a programmer yeah it's a day's salary <laughs> look in front i want to be a programmer <laughs> <laughs> I uh, love warping minds. Anyway, you were going to say uh, you had a list of of things that you were going to go through about SharePoint. Well, yeah, I mean, I've got some 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 tips to share, I guess, on on how to do it right. But uh, you know, maybe let, let's just kind of wrap up what SharePoint's not, I guess, as a as a, a kind of um, you know, just a way to wrap up some of the things we've said. It's it's not a magic bullet. You know, you don't kind of just spray magic SharePoint dust and it solves the, the the problems in the organization. In fact, the opposite. We find when we start, it's a different kind of system to what people typically use. Um, you know, knowledge management, KM, DMS, these kind of kind of topics poke different corners of the organization. Um, and so we, we find, in fact, rather than solving problems, we start to raise questions that the people haven't um, haven't asked before, haven't asked in 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 a while. Richard, you've you've commented, uh, I think, on other shows, how, uh, you know, kind of from a BI perspective of if you don't get the data right, you kind of undermine the whole platform. Whether or not that's what the system says, if that's not what people believe, uh, you know, you undermine the whole platform. I, I had a, a SharePoint dashboarding project like that once with a uh, with a retailer, where we were trying to put a store portal together and, and show the stores their kind of uh, year to day turnover, that kind of thing. Um, and so we were we were told, you know, take this data, this you know this kind of sell per store and show it to them, basically. 
um, and all hell broke loose in the organization because what we didn't know was that there's a, there's a source of data and that data gets massaged by somebody in some corner of the organization according to some rules to how they actually want to present it to stores. Right. And it's a slightly massage number, and we weren't told to show the massage number. We were told to show the other one. So all hell broke loose, and the project got uh, got seriously derailed. Nothing to do Nothing with worse platform. than the truth <laughs> leaking out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they, they had, I mean, I'm sure they had a valid reason why, but, you know, obviously SharePoint got blamed, the portal got, got, got blamed, and so on. You know, it comes back to that people process technology stuff. Technology is the <laughs> easy part. Yeah, but, um, and once you lose trust like that, it's really hard to get it back. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So again, not a not a you know not a, an inherent flaw in the platform or anything like that. It's you know it's 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 part of you know portal kind of project and what that means. Um, some other things that we spoke about are, are just underspecking the technology. This one's really really common. Organizations try and and underspend on on the version of SharePoint, the license. Uh, you know which one is is less appropriate for them, for example, or just underspending on the tin. It's uh, it's super common, unfortunately. Um, you know, I've got um, I've got one enterprise customer who's running SharePoint, a production SharePoint, and they're sort of the lower end of enterprise grade, but they're running it on a on a twelve server farm. You know that that's that's decent tin. Uh, Carl, you once told a story about your brother having some kind of Oracle pro, um, um, project, and, oh, yeah. and somebody bought out a Microsoft uh, technology, and he kind of you know somebody yeah. laughed on the project, going, you know, what kind of spend is that? There's like a zero missing relative yeah, to yeah. the Oracle world. I think um, I think the know, Oracle guy, and this was in the '90s, that you know they they said something like, "This ain't no wimpy Microsoft database." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly, exactly that kind of thing. And, you know, SharePoint often ends up in operational trouble because they just kind of shove it on a corner, a server in the corner. You know, I actually had one of these. These are kind of also these kind of anecdotal, mythical stories in, 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 our, in our field. And I literally had one of these. We were doing work for a client overseas, and the bug tracking system was just a kind of a you know, standard list, uh, sort of a, a basic out-of-box list in SharePoint with a couple of fields. Mm. But we were moving offices at the time, and we were having electrical problems and internet problems and so on. So it took us a while to realize that it was actually a problem at the customer. It wasn't only our things. Every Tuesday at 9 a.m., the bug tracking list went down. And the reason was because it was sitting on a SharePoint server that was an old developer workstation sitting under a desk. And every Tuesday, the cleaning lady came in, needed to plug her vacuum cleaner in, unplug the SharePoint server, and uh, nice. unplug her vacuum cleaner. <laughs> so, you know, these, these things do, I can attest oh, to, to reality, these things do happen. Um, you know, that, so yeah, certainly under, under specking the, the product is an easy way to run into trouble. And another aspect is it's a complicated platform. It's the first time getting into SharePoint that I suddenly as a developer had to deal with a huge amount of things. Um, high availability, disaster recovery, really understanding Active Directory and Kerberos and DNS and load balancing and root, routing, sorry, routing as we would say, routing as you guys would say, um, reverse proxies, SSL, wildcard certs. I've never even heard of such a thing until I got into SharePoint. Storage yeah. metrics, things like capacity planning. You know, you're dealing with an enterprise product and, and these concepts don't get, um, you know, aren't something you'd, you'd get exposed to, kind of just writing a, you know, a decent, valuable, but not necessarily complicated from that perspective, ASP.NET website. Right. So I think what I asked you before the break was it, uh, you, and and this is how you answered it was, um, you know, at what point do you start writing web parts and uh, custom custom code in SharePoint? I remember when I was uh, doing the 
uh, DVD with Sahil, that that's where it kind of got sticky and tricky. And I guess your answer is just sort of, hey, just sort of avoid that altogether if you can, right? Yeah. So, I mean, let me, let me kind of answer that from both angles. There's no doubt, and, I, and I'm not sure when the Sahil show was, but if I recall correctly, it was a good few years ago. There's no doubt that tooling has improved dramatically. It's a, it's yeah. a different ballpark altogether. You know, Microsoft produced SharePoint, but Microsoft, you know, and, and you guys know what Microsoft means as an org, but, you know, in inverted commas, Microsoft never released anything for how to develop for the platform. So in the earlier versions of SharePoint, there was no tooling in Visual Studio and, and kind of deploying a web part was a, was a really arcane art of a lot of command line tools and, um, and, and kind of getting your directory structure correct and so on. It was, you know, yeah. kind of 20 years back in, in the past. Today, we've got a, you know, an F5 story from Visual Studio. So, you, you know, file new project, web part, drag some controls on there, click a button and, and wire up some code and so on. Push F5 and it'll do all the packaging and all the deployment into your, uh, into your, uh, your development environment. Don't go ahead and put Visual Studio on your production service. Um, but, you know, the, yeah, the tooling is, is vastly different. It's a lot easier to dev for SharePoint. But like I was saying, when you're deving for SharePoint, that concept itself may be the very problem. Mm. So some of the, the um, you know, and I'll spin this around as a, as a, as a kind of tip for the, for the listeners or a, or a bit of advice for the listeners, but one of the things that, that's been very common in, in SharePoint land forever is, you know, we, we again kind of think back to that, you know, CIO went to take it kind of thing and said, like, the SharePoint thing's great. We want to have it in our organization. So we've got this hammer. Let's, let's look around and see if we can find something that vaguely resembles a nail that we can pin SharePoint onto as an excuse to get it in. So I've been involved in projects in the early days when I first started getting into SharePoint where the company that I was with was a, was a big SharePoint partner and so on. Um, so we were, you know, uh, kind of um, labeled as a SharePoint partner and we can help you when you want to solve whatever your SharePoint problem is. And the organization wanted to put uh, also a store portal, incidentally, different, uh, different retailer. So the very first SharePoint project in the organization was an extremely, extremely twisted, customized version of SharePoint that, uh, that cost hundreds of thousands of dollars and, and took upwards of 12 months to deliver. So guess what the perception of the SharePoint product in the client was at the time? Hmm. You can imagine, not great. Mm-mm. So what I, what I advise to, to customers and, and to the listeners and so on is when you're engaging with SharePoint, look at what you're trying to achieve. What exactly is your business goal? What is the immediate problem at hand that, you, that you're trying to solve? And define it as a real problem. You know, we've said SharePoint's an intranet, uh, intranet tool. I've got one customer that I've, I've started engaging with recently. who's a, a divestment of an international financial firm. Um, and so they called me in and they said, look, we know SharePoint's good because when we were part of the larger, larger firm, we had it and, and we, we saw there was some value. Um, and we used to have an intranet, so we went to a new intranet. So, so I said to them, well, what, you know, what, are you, what are you trying to achieve here? What's your business goal with this? What kind of metric can we, can we measure against to see if we've been successful? And typically it's, you know, we, we're sharing information better or less documentation is getting lost or something like that. And their business driver was, we want an internet because well, we used to have one. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. And, <laughs> yeah, not that we know what we want from an internet. We just know we had one, so we want to something. Right. But that, you know, that's so, not a business driver. That's not a real <laughs> problem that we can, we can actually practically see the results of in people's lives. 
Say so if you just good. bought yourself a computer case and put a big sticker on it that said SharePoint, you could have just delivered that. They would have been happy. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You go no, have some SharePoint. Nobody would have necessarily known the difference. Um, but that's that. You know, that's a big part of it. Underst- or, or you need to seek to understand what is the business problem you're trying to solve, and and how can we quantify it? How can we actually sort of describe this as a pain point or a specific business opportunity that we're trying to tackle? Um, so that's part of it. Um, and the other thing is make sure that it's a good fit for the platform. You know, something like this. Uh, you know, some of the some of the horror stories I've said, for example, it's very common to put SharePoint in because we want SharePoint in. We've heard about something or we've seen that it could be good. But that doesn't mean this project is necessarily something that's going to be good on the platform at all, or that's a good fit. You know, I mentioned SharePoint's non-transactional. Um, right. It's you know, it's it ultimately backed into SQL Server, but you need to kind of forget that when you get into SharePoint land, because it's um, and you know, you've had you've had Paul and Kim, um, the, the the SQL gurus on talk about some of the the weird things in the SharePoint database because oh, yeah. it's not been built as a database product. It's it's totally non-relational. Uh, well, it's basically non-relational and it's non-transactional you know you're thinking it's you're running in asp.net and uh, and it's sql server underneath so if you want to sort of put two related items into two lists at the same time it should be able to you know we should be able to to just use system.transaction or uh, and, and call this as a, a harken back to your to your um <laughs> your intro okay. about some of the the .NET things we need to dust off. Yeah, but um, you know, you'd think something like that, or, or or wrap it in a transaction scope or so on. But somewhere down in the stack, that gets lost. And SharePoint is quite literally non-transactional. You can you, you can sort of take something from one list, put it in another one, and the transaction can fall apart and the data get lost. Because that's not the kind of system that you're trying to build. If you're trying to build something that's transactional, SharePoint's not going to be a good fit for you. So that's, you know, that's part of the story as well. And then the other aspect to it, and this comes back to the dev as well. And I know we're on .NET Rocks, but I'm going to discourage people from doing development. Well, that's uh, what SharePoint's all about, really. <laughs> yeah, in, in some ways. In, Don't in some write ways, code. It's trying to, it's trying to sweat, the, uh, sweat the platform. Yeah. For, for me, yeah. I've seen, you know, you see people doing stuff with SharePoint. I've seen SharePoint as a CMS system, an outward-facing website, and so forth. But it, I'm starting to look at that now like they're, it's a carnival freak show. You know, just because you could do it didn't actually make it a good idea. Yeah. But it begs uh, the question, what is this thing really good at? Do you really pick it as a dev platform first? Like, yeah, if all you wanted it, to do was development, exactly. why not just do development? Exactly, you've hit it. You've hit the nail square on the head. I'd argue with you a little bit about the CMS stuff. You know, in in, in 2013, particularly, it's a it's a far far better uh, content management engine than it's ever been. I mean, for the first time, you can practically use something like Dreamweaver to design your websites in SharePoint. So, I mean, that's another discussion we can have. But yeah, you've hit the nail square on the head, Richard. You know, sometimes you know this this project I mentioned to you, this 12 month project, we probably could have given them. Exactly what they asked for and more in half the time if we just built a custom vanilla ASP, uh, ASP.NET website. For right. So well, exactly so it is, I've talked about this on Run As before, but it's what is the thing? What is the, the key thing that gets people installing SharePoint, where SharePoint becomes the choice? Because I don't think it's the dev platform. Whenever I've seen development on SharePoint, it's we already had SharePoint and we wanted this uh, additional capability to exist in the same context, so we did development on SharePoint. But it didn't seem to be the driver for SharePoint in the first place. 
So I'll, uh, I'll give you the opposite of that. You know, SharePoint, as I mentioned, is a document management system. And we still haven't defined what the heck a DMS is because that's something that's worth chatting about too. It's the thing that means different things to different people, which are a large right. part of the problem. But basically, if you want to store your docs in a way that gets you free, totally free out of the box, um, way ahead of what you'd get with a file share. I mentioned earlier in the show, SharePoint is not a web-based file share. In right. fact, if you treat SharePoint as a web-based file share, you'll, you'd be better off going with a standard file share. Hmm. Um, you know, the, the, the depth of folders, how many folders your, your, your content, or how many f- uh, levels deep down your content lives in folders actually negatively impacts things like your search in SharePoint. I don't want to get into details. We can chat about it if we've got time, but, but there's, there's a lot to talk about. But you have to understand what a DMS is, and it means things out of box. Again, you're investing in a platform for a reason, out of box, free versioning, free uh, basic auditing, free metadata, and the ability to search across that metadata and to view and filter and, um, and, and potentially trigger lightweight workflows. And a huge amount of value you can get from having your documents in something that gives them way more life than just being a file on a file share. They become documents. Right. Rather than uh, you know, rather than, than just file shares. Mm. But even that's an evolution. I talk about you know, clients say they want a DMS. I say, well, let's get instead of the DMS, let's get to DC. Let's get to some document control before we unleash something like that on an organization. You know, now we've got metadata columns and fields and and types and and all that kind of stuff on on users who've never seen something like this before. Again, you're likely to fail because of the complexity and the change management and the adoption. So that that that's a that's a big part of the. Um, of the plat- of the of the problem too. Yeah, to me that seems like the cornerstone capability of SharePoint, and it gets back to that tie to Office. That this yeah. diversity of documents you might have around a given project can be in one place. You always know what the latest version is. You always know who worked on it. You you know what related documents are available. I mean, it's a variety of things. But then you still have this programming platform. Mm-hmm. Why do we do this? Yeah, and I've got, this is where I was getting to. I've got a customer exactly like that who are. I mean, they've been on SharePoint for eight, nine, ten years, so they're really mature, version to version on the on the on the on the, the product, and they're they're kind of a customer I encounter every every couple of years, bump into them at a conference and so on. I'd um, also think they have Stockholm syndrome at this point. Oh. They they're in SharePoint because <laughs> they don't know anything else. <laughs> well, potentially, <laughs> but anyway, um, you know, you'd you'd think you'd think Let, let's let's start that way. Um, they've been in SharePoint for a long time. They have pockets in the organization that are deeply entrenched from in their own documents. And they have, at this point, probably about 100 business applications in SharePoint. Every new business app has to have a serious justification to be a non-SharePoint app. You know, nice. things like the, the leave form and the expense request forms and, you know, those kind of things. Um, so I happened to bump into them recently. We were talking a little bit about records management. And I said, okay, well, let's look at their HR department, for example. Um, you know, where, where, where do they, where's their site? And I said, no, they're not in SharePoint. Hmm. So I'm thinking, okay, well, you know, they've been using SharePoint for 10 years. And when are they getting to the poor HR department? Anyway, so I said, no problem. Where's their file share? We can point the search at their file share. Have it crawl it. They can get all, a lot of the value of search without having to physically go through a migration and a training and so on. So they said, no, 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 you don't understand. HR is uh, in, in, in the files. Yeah. So I said, yeah, where's the file share? No, no. HR is in filing cabinets. 
You still have everything printed on yeah. paper in physical filing cabinets. This is 10 years into their SharePoint journey. But all applications are, uh, you know, are, are custom dev on the SharePoint platform. So we have organizations in exactly the, uh, exactly the, the, the situation that you, that you discussed there. So I guess coming back to it, you know, the, the advice is keep it simple. Um, keep your requirements to things that are going to fit the product well and that are going to fit the organization well. SharePoint can do a huge amount of things. It's a, you know, it's got a lot of bells and whistles. It's very easy to demo to customers. But sometimes the impact of the change on the users can affect how you should be approaching SharePoint. You know, of the 10 things I mentioned that you get with the DMS, sometimes you need to just start with you know, let them think of it as a file share. Don't add metadata, for instance. Don't add columns and so on. Let them get used to to just using, um, you know, ju- just using their documents in one central place, um, sending links rather than attachments and emails. So they know, everybody knows, comes to appreciate that there's only ever one version of the document. It's always the latest version, for example. And take them on a journey and do that department by department and and phase your projects. We may have this bells and whistles vision across the entire organization, but start with HR and get maybe, uh, you know, resumes, CVs, as we'd call them in in other parts of the world. Get your your resumes coming in and tracked and and maybe just filtered slightly differently, grouped by status. You know, have they been reviewed? Are they ready for interview? Things like that. The kind of things that somebody who knows SharePoint can put together for you in minutes that can vastly change the, uh, the the face of the organization. And it's an ironic example. My wife's actually in the HR game. She's an HR consultant. Started working at a, I won't mention names, but there's a there's a, a local branch here of a major international online retailer um, and discovered that recruitment looks exactly like that. They've got a master Excel spreadsheet floating around where they oh try and keep track of things. And you guys know that Excel is the most widely used, but the worst database. Most reviled database, yeah. So, <laughs> so, you know, she's been there a few weeks. And, uh, you know, within a, within a few days of being there, um, she, she was happy to report the anecdote to me that um, somebody piped up, suddenly, you know, popped their head up from the cubicle and said, could somebody please close the master Excel database because I need to make some changes and it's locked. Oh, jeez. It's read-only because <laughs> it's, it's, it's not a multi It's one one step behind access. So, so yep. Yep. Uh, in the few minutes we have left, quickly, uh, SharePoint and Azure, better together? Um, so, that, I mean, that's an interesting chat. You know, we get into the cloud. I think just to sum out, so, so some of the things I said, um, if I can take one more minute, Cole, um, be, be careful with what you put on the platform. Size it correctly. Spend the time. Most of the time it involves getting a consultant in to help you to, to help you get ready. But plan the platform appropriately and plan how you engage the users, how you deal with things like change management and adoption. And phase your projects to things that are going to make sense for the platform and, and, and for your users. And, and put together a roadmap. Say, look, th- we've got this end goal, but that's not our, you know, we're not going to go big bang. We're going to start with one department and a couple of docs go to another department, come back to the first department and help them get one level deeper and kind of just cycle through, you know, layer by layer of the, of the onion. Do you recommend um, so we start with a virtual machine or do you recommend we go right into a, uh, a website? 
So that kind of wraps up the SharePoint discussion. But getting to the cloud, you know, these days we obviously have different versions of SharePoint. And and Azure and and Office 365 become an interesting part of that discussion. Office 365, as Richard said, kind of gets us a chance to shield away from the infrastructure and the platform. So it's great. um, And it it certainly helps organizations get to SharePoint much easier. Mm. Uh, But there are some limitations in the platform. And that's where Azure steps in. Azure gives us a lot of capability to have a raw, full-featured uh, SharePoint version, some of the things that, that Office 365 doesn't give us. Right. Um, and so we can look at, at some of the new offerings Microsoft's put with, with Azure Virtual Machines. So that gives us, for example, uh, we could run production environments on there. Microsoft's currently pushing things like WCM, like uh, you know, you, you could build your, your public-facing SharePoint. You can't do that on Office 365 for an enterprise because the features are more limited there, but you can on the full SharePoint version. So you'd look at, at spinning up a couple of VMs, very easily provisioning you know, more if you need to scale up and so on, uh, and, and less if you need to scale down. SharePoint's an extremely scalable product in, in, in all directions. Mm-hmm. Um, and Azure, you, know, you can get a 56 gig memory machine, for example, for a fraction of the cost of, of, uh, of what you can typically get internally. You right. guys know about the MSDN licenses. So devs in the organization that wouldn't necessarily be able to run SharePoint on their laptop, you know, most of us, for better or worse, can't provision, let's say, a 30 or, or 50 gig VM on our primary machine. So getting a dev machine out in Azure is, uh, is almost a no-brainer these days. Um, and then it gives us the ability to, to do a lot more with SharePoint. Disaster recovery into the cloud, for example, becomes, uh, becomes viable for organizations that wouldn't necessarily have the budget to do it into a, uh, a disaster recovery center, for example. And, and things like testing, especially where, we can, where it makes sense to have the environments short-lived to test a patch or, or to, you know, to test an update of your, your SharePoint solutions and yeah. so on. Are there any resources uh, that you've put out there or that you know of where we can uh, get started with uh, our own SharePoint VMs in, the, in Azure? Um, the, I mean, it's really more about the guidance. Um, you right. know, how do I get started with SharePoint Dev? What do I need? Do I need Visual Studio and so on? So that hasn't changed in Azure. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the steps of provisioning SharePoint in Azure are um, the easiest way, I guess, is just provision a meaty enough VM and go ahead and install the product. There really isn't anything special about Azure that we should be aware of. It depends what you're trying to do. If you're just trying to de- sort of put a self-contained dev machine together, no problem. Spin up a VM, RDP in, and and uh, and and Bob's your uncle, as they say, mm-hmm. kind of go wild and, and do what you need. If you are trying to do something that needs to connect to your organization, so let's say you're trying to put a uh, a warm or a cold or, or a hot or whatever you want to configure your your DR environment together into the cloud. You typically want to be able to connect that to your on-prem environment. So, for uh, as an example, you want to make sure that your AD accounts are flowing into that environment. So, yeah. you may want to provision a couple of VMs to service multiple roles. So, you'd have an Active Directory, you'd have a, uh, a SQL, you'd have a, one or more SharePoints, for example. Um, and in that case, you need to connect them into your uh, into your organization. So, so uh, Azure has a kind of a VPN concept, if you like. Um, so that you can bring those machines, although they're hosted in some random data center far at the other end of the world, you can effectively ring fence them into your uh, into your into your network. Great. So it gets now. A why would you do that? Why would you run your run VMs and run SharePoint that way and be responsible for patching and stuff when you could use SharePoint online? So 
some of the reasons I mentioned, it's, um, you know, where you can get away with Office 365, I think it's a great solution. It, right. Certainly for smaller organizations or for specific workloads for enterprises. You know, some of my customers, for example, the larger enterprise guys are looking at Extranet, for instance, where it's much easier to, to just expose via an email address, expose your SharePoint to, you know, to vendors, to partners, to customers, so on. So they have links on the site. So from a user perspective, you know, the design and so on is, is all out of box. We've, we've carefully kept them there. Um, so everything looks the same, and they kind of link backwards and forwards seamlessly without realizing they're, they're going to a cloud-based SharePoint or the on-prem one. Um, you know, so it's, it speaks to workloads like that. Customers are looking right. at Office 365, for instance, because every user gets a 50 gigabyte um, storage account. Right. So their own personal storage, you might not, it just doesn't make sense to kind of have the economies of storage on-prem on, on for, you know, random user content. But the reasons you'd have it on-prem, which I guess is, is, is part of your question, is um, that there are still things you can't do in Office 365 that you can only do in SharePoint on-premises. So some of the right. web content management um, work, for example, some of it may relate to, to, to other systems you're trying to connect to in the organization. There's a, a part of a solution for that in Office 365, but it could be things like that, for instance. You may, you know, SharePoint will obviously search itself. You, you drop a document in there and you search for words in the document, you'll find them. But you may also be wanting to search, have the, the SharePoint search product, because in and of itself, it's, a, it's an extremely powerful platform. You may want to point it at a file share and have it bring that content in. So when a user does a search, they'll search across multiple sources in the organization. Although it's SharePoint search, it's searching way beyond SharePoint too. And you want one comprehensive consolidated search result. You can't quite do that in Office 365 right now. There are some solutions, but they're, they're not, not quite as seamless, for example. Cool. So you know, okay. it could be that, it could be security concerns, you know, any, any host of reasons real <laughs> or perceived. Um, why organizations don't move at all or, or don't move whole hog into the cloud. Um, and that's where Azure kind of fills that gap. It gives you the ability to not necessarily have to manage and maintain the, the physical infrastructure, the, you know, the kind of uh, infrastructure as a service component, um, but still get that, that environment connected to your environment where necessary, and uh, you know, especially things like DR, for example. Well, uh, we're, we're coming to the end of the show. Is there anything that we missed that we can cover in just a minute or so? Yeah, I guess so. I want to leave you guys with one passing comment. You guys are, are uh, you know, uh, good friends with Tim Huckabee. He's been on the show many times, um, and I've managed to rope him into to coming in on my uh, my silly little podcast too. Um, but Tim said said something that I've heard him say a few times, including I think I've even heard him say to you um, that basically it's a SharePoint world, and we're just living in it. <laughs> <laughs> I think Tim also said it's a connect world and we're living in it. And it's a silver light world and we're living in it. Yeah. Uh, he said a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> he certainly does. But uh, I think he's just trying to soften the SharePoint blow for the I rest guess. of us. Yeah. <laughs> well, Hilton, it's been great to finally have you on the show. Yeah, guys, thanks again. As I said, it's been a, been a real honor to come on. And I, and I hope I've sort of helped share a little bit of the... Uh, the, the the excitement and passion of, of why I love the product and and hopefully help people avoid some of the problems that they typically run into. You know, stick with the, with the in the box tools. I like to, uh, to 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 use one if I can throw out one last phrase. Um, something that I've sort of picked up from a customer and adapted. I think the way to use SharePoint right is to use out of box thinking about the out of box tools. Nice. 
Nice. Well, and uh, listeners can get more of this at uh, themossshow.com. That's Hilton's SharePoint show. So go listen. Check it out. And thanks for listening to us. It's time uh, once again to bring this to a close. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes,